It's Wednesday, September 6th, and you're listening to a brand new episode of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast. On today's episode, Wakefield Sessions continues with my guest, Maya Colley Jarrett, which, oh man, I gotta say, this was one of the uh, funnest and most interesting interviews I've done, and you're in for it. Get into it. Wakefield Sessions, and it all starts now. <laughs> Yes, here we are. Welcome to the Julian Dion Comedy, our podcast coming at you from Levin Press Studios in the Gatnow Hills. Hi, hi, hi. Wakefield Sessions coming at you every day. I'm kind of liking it. It's, you know, it's a bit of a workload coming to you every single fucking day. But you know what? I'm, I'm, um, I'm getting used to it. Maybe this will just be a five-day-a-week podcast after the four-week Wakefield Sessions stint, which, by the way, Wakefield, oh my god, you guys have delivered with suggestions of people to interview and exactly what I'm looking for, characters, people with stories, people with the gift of the gab, that that may be anybody, musicians, entrepreneurs, artists, quite a few musicians, actually. Wakefield is kind of a little mini hub of... uh, they call it the Nashville of the Gatineau Hills. Nobody calls it that. I don't, that's not a thing. But man, oh man, a lot of musicians, uh, anybody, entrepreneurs, anybody, anybody. My guest today, Hamayuk Holly Jarrett. Oh my God, this gem of a person. What an interview she gave. This is what I like about interviewing, or this is... This is everything I like about it. You discover things. I did not know much about Hawaiuk, uh, honestly. I was recommended, again, Wakefield. You suggested people uh, through the yin-yang. And I started with people that were suggested or uh, recommended more than once. And uh, Hamayuk, Ali Jarrett, my guest today, was recommended more than a few times. So I thought, hey, let's... I didn't even know, like, I didn't know what she did or anything. And so I hit her up. Based on your recommend, I had faith in your recommendations. Hit it up, and oh my god, it was just this is what I look for in interviews authenticity, truth, raw, and she over delivered on all of those things. If you know Amayuk, you might think, oh, well, yeah, of course. If you're one of the people that recommended her, you go, yeah, that's why we recommended her, dum dum. Well, I'm just telling you, I appreciate it. Back off. And uh, so we get into it. We get into uh, it all. It was a good uh, good chat. Mayuk 
Holly Jarrett is my guest today. Wakefield Sessions. I had a very Wakefield day today. I swam in the river and I ate granola for dinner. It was a two-course dinner at Granola with some uh, in some homemade uh, almond milk, followed by course two, which was a probiotic pill. So that's Wakefield, right? Is that what Wakefield does? And I had a dip in the river, the old yo Gatineau. Anyway, thanks for listening to the podcast. I appreciate it. It's been getting a lot of traction this week. And uh, remember to just let me get this bed news out of the way. Bed news. Dan Rathers, CBS News. Uh, remember to email the show pod, that's P-O-D, in case you can't spell, at jdcomedyhour.com. Follow on Instagram and Twitter at jdcomedyhour. And uh, like the Facebook page, facebook.com slash jdcomedyhour. Okay, boom, that's gone. Hurricane Irma. Oh, by the way, let me just say this. This is ca- for any new listeners. Any any past listeners will know this, but this uh, is for any new people listening. It's called this is called the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast, which the only real truth to that title is my name, Julian Dion. That's one hundred percent consistent. You'll get that every time. The comedy part, whatever. I'm a comic. I'm a comedian, stand up comic by trade so I've you know I travel all over and I do comedy so there will be some humor in there peppered in but it's not a forced thing there's nothing harder to listen to than than uh you know somebody trying to be funny on stage because of a title or whatnot not on stage but on mic rather I'm not on stage here I'm in a closet and so yeah it'll be this is my my goal my goal is to be as honest as and and as open as possible and be myself and authentic and maybe you connect with that maybe you don't if you don't this is the beauty with the internet you don't have to listen you can go anywhere else go to youtube and look at cat videos which by the way speaking of youtube i realized my show is on youtube this you can get this on youtube somebody posted a link rose rosemary shout out rosemary or rosemary i think rosemary and I realized every episode that is released is also released on YouTube. So that's a good way to get it. Just stream it on YouTube, iTunes, of course. Subscribe, by the way. Subscribe on YouTube and iTunes. That way you can get new episodes automatically. Okay, so the comedy part. And and, and the same, I tell the same for, uh, uh, excuse me, my interviewers, uh, interviewees, the subjects of the thing. I tell them, don't worry about the comedy part. That's just, don't let the name deter you. You know, let's just be real and authentic, have a, a genuine conversation, and what comes of it, there will be some humor peppered in there that comes occurs naturally, and which is smooth and easy, easy to listen to and organic. Which Wakefield, we all love organic, right? And the other part that's not necessarily true is the hour. These things go on and on and on and on. So sometimes we go past an hour, and that's the beauty with the internet. You don't you don't have to. Uh, there's no time limit. We can do this anytime. So the name came from, I had a live show every Wednesday in Toronto. And um, the name came from that. I had the Julian Dion Comedy Hour live show. And I wanted to keep it like a one-man brand kind of thing. Keep the same branding, the same name. And I was told by a uh, acclaimed copywriter, advertising copywriter and editor, don't worry about the name. People will get to know what the thing is. Example, A&W. You, you don't know what A&W, nothing of that says burgers and onion rings and delicious, delicious root beer. Nothing. But you grow to now. 
A&W is, uh, you know, you know what that is now. Anyway, which is a big uh, corporate conglomerate, which I am not above. People say selling out is so bad. Hey, if you offer me a million dollars for whatever, I'll I'll do it. Fuck it. I don't care. I'll be in my uh, tower counting my money going, shit, I guess I sold out. I'd do it like once or twice. Maybe three times or four. No more than five, six, half a dozen, baker's dozen, 13 times. I'll do anything. I don't care. Life is hard enough. To, 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 you know, yes, integrity is a good thing, but selling is selling out. So I, I, I just, <laughs> I just lost everybody just now, but I, I'm not above it. If someone was to offer me $9 million to do something. And I talked about this with, uh, with Pat, Pat Marr, great guest. I would do pretty much anything for $9 million other than, than, you know, give up my firstborn, which is a cat. It's a kitten. Georgie, you may have, may have met him. You may have seen him online. Georgie's sick. Oh, poor little guy. And I've talked about him on the podcast before, which because we kind of plucked him early on from his mother. I feel like too early. Like he was kind of still gelatinous, you know, had to lick him clean. And uh, again, I mentioned this in one of the episodes that I did uh, not that long ago, but how I woke up in the middle of the night when we first got him, we, he slept with us and because he needed body heat or he was going to die. He was that small and young. And I woke up to like a sucklage on my... Uh, my chest, and I look down, and he's sucking on my man nip. So that happened. So I'm very attached. A, I'm attached to him now, and B, I support public breastfeeding because I get it, okay? Swip those out and give the gift of life. Nothing came out of mine, by the way. It was just moose head and pus. Why go there? Why Why the pus? Nothing, pus never does anything good for anything. Infection, maybe. Anyway, all that to say, uh, don't worry about it. Just don't worry about the title of the show. The show And my cat's sick. Georgie's sick. I don't know what's happening with him. He's got some sort of thing, infection or something. I don't know. We've been to the vet three times. Is this weird? Is this a weird conversation? I, I never thought I'd be that, that person. I, I used to always cringe when I would hear animal people go, it's our fur baby. But then I was like, fuck that. I'll never be that person. And then all of a sudden, I am that person. You find yourself going like, oh, yeah, he's finally sleeping through the night. You know, he used to wake up all the time for, you know, nursing on my man nips. What was I saying before? Hurricane Irma or Irma, if you're Spanish or French, is um, has hit the, uh, the Caribbean. The, 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 are, but are you one of those people that still deny global warming or sorry? Global warming is now taboo. Climate change, because people hear global warming and they go, you know, in January, well, it's minus 20. I'll fuck this global warming. I don't know why that accent, but climate change, which is the extreme. In all seasons, you get the extreme. For example, you get the hottest summers and the coldest winters, which, by the way, hello, that's what's happening. We're getting all of it. You can't deny the science, but some people, this Hurricane Irma is the uh, the strongest, the largest ever hurricane documented ever and people are still like well that shit happens again that weird accent that twang why yes it does happen but i mean it's a it's to a degree now that we've never seen before so there's three categories of people which one are you there's the people that go shit we fucked up our planet which let's be honest we have and we go you know the planet is warmer which is causing these giant hurricanes if you don't know the science how hurricanes work it, it gets the, the heat the, from the warm oceans 
get sucked up into the thing and then you get a big thing. That's technical, by the way. So the warmer the ocean, the bigger the thing. And so you've got people that go, okay, shit, that's climate change. Then you have other people that say, nothing has changed. This happens all the time. And then there's a new breed of people and, and and thanks to the internet for this, that think this is a government-controlled operation. Are you one of these conspiracy people? I, I, I can subscribe to certain conspiracy theories. I get it. You have to kind of pick and choose. You can't just take them all. But a lot of people are saying that this is the work of HARP, which is an organization. Uh, what is HARP? Let me look it up. Hold on. Basically, they control the weather. They have these um, weather making machines and that's why you see the increase in okay so so high frequency active auroral research program harp h-a-a-r-p which is a thing that uh, it's a program jointly funded by the u.s air force u.s navy nasa and all that kind of stuff and people think that, that maybe they're they're behind it so where do you fall into that I don't know. I don't know what I buy. I just know that uh, move to the woods in some highlands somewhere, hunker down with your family, love each other, take care of one another, and hope for the best. And uh, send up positive energy to... Uh, I mean, that's not enough. We actually have to do shit. We have to... We, we can't turn back the hands of time, but we got to do some stuff about the planet or it's just going to shake us off like a virus and we're the planet will thrive without us. Believe you me. Oh, you believe you me. Where was I going with this? I'm kind of all over the map. Whatever. It doesn't matter. The point is, thinking of all uh, the people and uh, uh, here we are midweek, Hurricane Irma is about to hit, I think, the states, Florida specifically, on um, on the weekend, Friday, Saturday or Sunday or something like that. So thinking of everybody out there, be safe. And here's the thing. If you get an evacuation notice from the government, from your local government, just just abide by it and leave. Don't don't be one of those people that goes, fuck it, I'm staying in my house. I'm just going to ride it out and prove everybody wrong. Just leave for a little bit and then come back to hopefully all of your house will be there. All right. Enough of all of that. What? Words. English. Hi. All right. Let's get to my guest now because, like I said, I keep seeing guests. That's my French. I'm, I'm Acadian French. Sometimes I get after. If you're new to the podcast, let me let me in. Let me see. Let me let you in on a little secret. I have troubles with words sometimes because, again, I treat this like uh, radio. But I do one take. I don't edit anything. So if uh, sometimes I have a little bit of that nervous energy and I pronounce things wrong, I keep saying guests. Like G-U-E-S-S. Like guess who's my guest. <laughs> so let's just get to my guest today because it's a good one. Like I said, it's one of the f- more interesting ones that I've done and fascinating. I could have gone on forever and ever. And uh, you're going to love it. We talk a lot about Canada's history and, and the relationship with Indigenous uh, First Nations and Inuit, peop- Inuit people. So uh, a lot. it was a... a, a here, okay, here's another note on the podcast. Aside from the title that might not be fully accurate, I often ask dumb, naive questions because I'm dumb and naive. 
And also, sometimes I might know the answer to something, but I'll just ask it for for listeners out there that might be. Uh, so I don't want to get any emails going. That question was dumb. All right, keep that shit to yourself, or listen to something else. I don't give a shit. All right, enjoy my chat now with the one, the only, the affable Hamayuk. I fucked that up. Hamayuk, Holly Jarrett. You and me belong, just like the flowers, laughing all day long. People, I need to lose. Sing a little song, then take a shower. Julian Dion, comedy Oh, and here we are, Wakefield Session continue sessions. I keep saying it's singular for some reason. Wakefield Session, maybe it's my French. Uh, Wakefield Sessions as a continues uh, today with my guest, Hamayuk Holly Jarrett. Did I get it right? Yeah, you got uh, it bang, right. Bang yeah, on. Perfect. Okay. Oh, man. And uh, I'm super excited to uh, interview uh, you. We've um, we've seen each other in passing uh, through uh, the village over the last few years. And uh, you came recommended highly. And I like to give a, a little bio before I interview people. So I'm going to do... I'm going to read what you texted me. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Because... Um, so I was asking uh, Hamayuk. Is it just Hamayuk or Hamayuk Holly? Everybody or? calls me Holly. Hamayuk Holly. is just it's my Inuk name, yeah. Got it. Okay. Uh, so I texted Holly just uh, for a little um, uh, backstory, and this is what I got. Half half Inuit Canadian, half white American, which we'll get into. I mean, we're going to get into all of this. Lived in Labrador, Michigan, and uh, Ottawa all my life. Your life. Her life. Mother just sued feds for residential school stuff. We'll get into that. We'll get into everything, basically. C- cousin uh, Loretta Saunders murdered, if you remember that, uh, fellow listeners. Um, campaigned with I am, or sorry, am I next, and uh, now sit on the Cabinet of Ministers Advisory Council for the Homelessness Partnering Strategy. And she also advocates for Indigenous and Human Rights in Canada and is a stakeholder in the MMIW inquiry uh, with a petition that reached over 350,000 signatures in support of the uh, MMIW inquiry and um, something that three governments, uh, three government-funded national organizations to, couldn't uh, task in over 10 years. And you got it done. You did it. And uh, also created the first uh, vital social injustice movement p- campaign. The vital was a vital was an autocorrect. Mistake. Oh, was it? Yeah. The it first one. Social. It so- social injustice. Movement. Oh, there you go. Social. Oh, both here are in the both words are created the first vital social. But let's just go with social injustice movement campaign called MI Next. She's here in Lemon Press Studio, sitting across from me, and uh, I'm excited. Uh, she's uh, on a cleanse. what's the cleanse for what's the inspiration behind that just the inspiration uh, is christine leger yeah yeah and is it just um is it just uh like what's the here let me just adjust your mic it's kind of set up high here this is professionalism at its best we uh oh that sounds good how's that in your ear holes listener that putting around there you go and you kind of have to eat the mic a little bit all right uh, because we're not in the soundproof booth, booth, soundproof booth. I don't uh, crank the gain. I'll kind of disappointed that it's I'll not a closet. Right, <laughs> that's the closet right there. I'll show it to you after. <laughs> and um, 
Well, yeah. What is the cleanse? Just in it, like, what's the time limit on it? Is it it's like a, a twelve week? Day, twelve day? Yeah, it's a twelve day horror. Yeah. Yeah. And, and was it, what is it like? Uh, no caffeine, no booze, no what? No sugar, no, no caffeine, sh- no, no dairy, no. Whoa. Nothing. That's intense. Yeah, it's pretty limited. The sugar, do you find that? That's like the hardest one. Eh? That's the worst. Yeah, people yeah. say that. I've t- never cleansed from sugar. I sh- probably should. It's a, it's, well, it's a total horrible feeling for three or four days. What? Like, uh. It makes you feel like you have the flu and you can't step away from a bathroom. Oh my God. Oh, so, <laughs> so you cleanse early on. Yeah, I'm just drinking water today, Julian. <laughs> yeah, I'm having a beer, whatever. Not above it. <laughs> um, uh, wow, 12 days, and you're in day what? Three. Day three? How are yeah. you feeling? Pretty shitty. Well, the bathroom's right there if you ever need to. <laughs> <laughs> if you need to at any point just uh <laughs> we can uh, we can do that and uh okay cool well hope do you need advil or something i think we'll be okay yeah you'll yeah. be all right are yeah. you feeling uh yeah. headachey groggy <laughs> no not yet when do you start or when are you supposed to start feeling the uh the the positive effects I can't of believe it we're talking about this <laughs> i know, I know. <laughs> um usually like by day five or day, day six you get a whole bunch of energy oh i'm so jealous i want to do that every almost every night i go tomorrow i'm starting a cleanse <laughs> and the next morning i go man i'll have coffee throw in some baileys in there so like uh, the opposite it's the boost it's yeah. really the boost that's the kicker for me it's 12 days of not socializing yeah well yeah. You kind of get over that hump after a while I, like 12 days might be what it takes to then get over you might continue that Maybe, I mean... I'm going to the cafe on day 13 and yeah. getting a Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good, Guinness. And, uh, but yeah, that's that's the thing. It's the social pressures. It's hard. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, like everything else, I guess, right? Yeah, like everything else. But booze, especially. People are people will accept you quitting caffeine, sugar, anything else. When it comes to booze, they're like, what, what's, why? Don't get invited any place anymore. <laughs> that's right. I took, one time, I took 15 months off of everything. It started as a cleanse, as a sober January in 2014 or 15. And um, after a month, I was like, I still didn't feel super great. And I'm like, shit, did I ruin myself over the years? Of, And um, I went 15 months and that was it initially. I remember I remember being out with a friend of mine in Toronto and he kept apologizing. He's like, because I wanted to make sure that nothing changed if I stopped drinking, that I would still go out and still, you know, be the last one to shut down the place. But I just won't be like getting hammered. And so, but people were, because they become self-conscious all of a sudden. My buddy kept saying every five minutes, oh, shit, I'm so bombed. I'm so sorry. I was like, shut the fuck up, man. Honestly. (laughs) Yeah, the trick, I think, is just to not let anybody know what you're doing. That's true, too. I found this. You take a rocks glass, fill it halfway with ice, and just a splash of icy in there, people think you're drinking whiskey. (laughs) That's and a good it, idea. And it couldn't be more opposite. But the problem with that is you you suck them back pretty quick because it's delicious, sweet nectar. And you're still pretty sober. Still pretty sober. <laughs> do, you, do you, well, I guess you're off sugar, so you're not doing like any non-alcoholic like beer or anything like that. Nope. Cause Nothing. Because that's, that's really high in, uh, in sugar. But I found that has like a placebo effect. When I did it, I would have like these non-alcoholic becks. All of a sudden, I'd become super chatty and stuff. And I was like, what's happening? Cigarette and can in hand. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's a social thing, yeah. Uh, do you smoke cigarettes? Yeah. Yeah? Uh-huh. And are, are you off that for 12 days? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Holy shit. That's well, it's, it. it's pointless to do That's like true. a detox if you're going to smoke during the whole time. But, but good on you for having discipline to... I don't have that much discipline. I cheat once in a while. Well, once in a while. <laughs> I mean, they say it's qu- harder to quit uh, than heroin. So I mean, I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Have you had Have I done heroin? No, no heroin yet. But this is Wakefield. <laughs> you should do that as part of, as part of the cleanse. Like throw like quit sugar and cigarettes and booze and start heroin for twelve days and see. <laughs> That'd be really slimming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Everybody sees you. They're like, we saw Holly. She was just kind of asleep. But well, you know, I think that half the time they think I'm ha- like I'm always grumpy or I'm always happy anyway. So I don't think yeah. it'd be much of a difference. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Heroin Holly, the twelve day cleanse. That's exactly the name that I need. <laughs> it's run with it. We're gonna have to brand that one. Yeah, yeah. Heroin Holly TM. <laughs> Copyright. Yeah. Um. Okay, well, let's get to know you because, like I said, okay, so this might be a repetitive, repetitive, wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable, Uh, but for listeners, but what I'm doing is uh, for Wakefield sessions, so, uh, you know, I've I've moved here July 1st, I've been uh, in Toronto before that, New York before that, but, and I've obviously talked about Wakefield in the podcast because I talk about my life a lot, so this is my way of introducing Wakefield and the fine folks that make up Wakefield to the rest of the world and to locals, it's a chance for them to really get to uh, know the people that I will be interviewing so that when they see you on the street, they go, oh my God, we know everything about her now. (laughs) (laughs) She's on a heroin cleanse. (laughs) Isn't that heroin Holly? Yeah, that's heroin Holly. Kids cross the road. (laughs) If she could muster up the energy, we'd get her autograph, but she's probably just listless on a dock somewhere on the Gatineau River. So... So let's get uh, let's get to know heroin Holly. No, that can't stick. That's gonna stick <laughs> That's for all. That's gonna be awesome. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to go to the cafe next time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you you were born in the states. You're American. I was born. This is this is difficult. I was born to an American Air Forceman. Okay. And a Canadian Inuit mother on an American Air Force base in Canada. So I have... Whoa, okay. Yeah, back, have, ping pong, back and forth. I have an American and a Canadian birth certificate. Oh, my God. As someone in show business, I'm so jealous of that. So you can just come and go as you please? Uh, no, I don't I don't really do very much with the American stuff. I no? Yeah. Especially now. Yeah, especially now. You're well, like, can I burn... Is it, do I get a fine if I burn this thing? Yeah. Um, so, okay. So your father is, Amer- was Ameri- is American. Yeah, he passed. Yeah, he, oh, he was passed. American. I'm sorry to, about that. And uh, your mother is Canadian Inuit. Yeah. And they met on an American Air Force base, Air Force in, Labrador. base in Canada in Labrador. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's a mouthful. Yeah, <laughs> trying to tell them that to the kids in kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> Especially all on heroin and stuff. It's like so hard to come out. <laughs> all you want to do is nap, and you're like, okay, I'm American Canadian, American Canadian. <laughs> I have never done heroin in my life. Yeah, let's get that. Sorry. I don't mean to. I'm just going on this thread, but no, let's get this straight. Heroin Holly has never done heroin. But it's really interesting. I seriously am going to keep it. We might, it might be the new fad, the new, uh, the new cleanse. Okay. And so you grew up in Labrador? Uh, Not entirely. Not entirely? I grew my dad was in the Air Force for another couple of years. So you're a military rat kind of traveling? Just for a couple of years kind right. of a thing. I don't remember it. Mm-hmm. And then we landed in Michigan until I was eight. So you did spend some time in the States. Yeah. Yeah. And, and most of my time as a youth was in the States. So they divorced. My mom moved um, to Labrador. When my grandmother died, she moved here to Ottawa. To okay. this area. So she had gone there to kind of take care of her mom and stuff? or No, when they split, she went back home. Oh, got it. Okay. 
so when my when my grandmother passed away, she moved down here and got a job with Indiana Northern Affairs, which was the name of that department at the time. In Ottawa? Yeah, in Ottawa. And she was involved in um, a lot of, that's that's where the Aboriginal politics and the the campaigning and the history that I have with it comes from is because she she started that in the early 80s. I remember, like, you know, being at tables with people like Mary Sillett and over Mercury and, um, like listen, like having suppers and dinners about what was going on with Elijah Harper and what was you know the Meech Lake Accord and though that's that's what my mom did when she was here and then I was in the states with my dad going to school and she had my brother so in the summertime and all the holidays we would switch back and forth. You come here for the summer. I come here for the summer. Sometimes I came I came to school in Ottawa for like three or four years, mm-hmm. um, but basically stable home base was Michigan and I was my brother's stable home base was with my mom here got it yeah and when did you come here full-time to Wakefield or to Ottawa Ottawa I guess I, w- I must have been Ottawa first and I, then we- I had my first daughter when I was 20 and I was a single mom okay so I moved to Ottawa where my mom was at the time and I got jobs in the in the indigenous organizations doing like, you know, admin work or whatever they I could to get my foot in the door then. And then um, in 98, I moved back to Labrador until 2008. So do you still have family in Labrador to this day or? Yeah, all my family's in Labrador. Oh, right. All my Inuit family's in Labrador except for a couple cousins here yeah. in Ottawa. Yeah. Do you go back still? Uh, I haven't been back since 2009. Right. It's really expensive to go back with kids. Like there's a road that you can go 16 hours on dirt road, I think. But it's it's just a ridiculous ride. Nobody really wants to do that. Because w- where do you fly into when you go there? Goose Bay. Okay. Fly That's where Goose- I was born, yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah, so What's the 16-hour road? Where does that lead to? Uh, The 16-hour road is a dirt road from Satil, mm-hmm. Um, And it goes through Wabush and Churchill Falls and Lab City. And it goes to Goose Bay. Okay. But it's a dirt road and it's just for transport trucks, basically. I mean, people do make it back and forth out on that road. From where? From Goose Bay. Okay. No, but but like, where where would you where would you go? I I'm gonna ask naive dumb questions because I don't know a lot of stuff. So you start from Goose Bay. Okay. And then you go the dirt road is the only road that goes out of Goose Bay okay. or any of that area north of Satil. Well, but if you're on that for 16 hours, where does that take you? That is it, it's here. 16 hours from Satil to okay. Goose Bay. <laughs> uh, we're gonna start over. Okay. Welcome to the. <laughs> From Satil to I think I'm Goose on Bay. heroin. Okay, got it, got it. Okay, sorry. Yeah, sometimes, I, am I red right now? I easily blush. No, no not no? too bad, okay. no. It's it's worse when you address it when you blush, and then it gets just amplified. Am I red right now? Because I think this is really funny. No, no. Okay. No, you're, you're just a perfect hue. It must be the cleanse of the heroin. <laughs> We're going to move on. It's the heroin. It's always yeah. the heroin. <laughs> always. When someone looks healthy, just assume it's just the Just assume it's yeah. the happy holly heroin glow. <laughs> oh, that's got a good ring to it. Yeah. I'm going to get that tattooed in Latin on my rib cage. Okay, you do that, I'll give you a hundred bucks, Julian, swear to God. Will you try heroin if I do that? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry for everybody involved, and including uh, yourself. Okay, so you, you uh, had a, how many kids do you have? Four. Four kids? Four. No way, wow. Yeah. You, how old are you? 40, you 44. What? <gasps> I know. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh my goodness. 
you do not look, you look super, super young. I mean, 44 <laughs> is young, but I mean, I would have thought maybe 31. I know. I get that a lot. Yeah. It's hard to date. Because <laughs> <laughs> you do the reveal and then they go. Oh. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't wow, do 44. I would have never, ever, 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 ever guessed that. It would have taken me 44 tries. I would have started at one. Yeah, Maybe. nobody ever does. And then I have a 24-year-old and 20-year-old daughter, and they what? see us all three together, and then we really trip them out because they look a little bit older, too. Wow. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. It is. What's your secret? Heroin. Ah, I was <laughs> hoping you were going to say that. Perfect. <laughs> Loved it. You got it. Swing T-ball. Um, okay, so then you're uh, you're in Ottawa. You're doing the thing. You're kind of um, working uh, with uh, indigenous organizations and doing that thing. Were you still in touch uh, with your father at that point? I, I w- I've always been really close to my dad. Yeah? Yeah. And um, so I was always in contact with him. When did he pass? You know, my 2012. Oh, gosh. So yeah. like recent. Yeah, well, fairly recent. Yeah, it's, well, been it's, a, it's been a different, like the struggle, the big struggle that's happened for me has been since he's been gone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's... But it's also the biggest lesson too. Is that right in one way? Uh, well, you got to learn to stand on your own two feet eventually. Yeah. Right? And when they're gone, they're gone. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Well, that's awful. I mean, I, I don't even know. I remember as a kid just thinking of my parents passing and just crying myself to sleep. Like, you know what I, got I mean, me to think about my parents passing was going to fucking church. Right? Like, I remember sitting at church, like, six years old and looking at my dad and looking at my mom and thinking, oh, my God, you're going to heaven. We're all going to heaven. That yeah. means we're all going to die. That's <laughs> right. Maybe that's where I get it. Because I grew up super religious to Catholic. Is that what you... No, Christian, but my stepmom's Catholic. Right. I mean, Marie, all kinds of religions. I got all kinds of Christianity behind me. All kinds. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, maybe it is the religion thing where you go, shit, yeah, we, we are... Uh, all gonna, are you religious now? Are you raising your kids nope. religious? No. My dad didn't raise me religious. Everybody else did. Right. But um, he just gave me freedom of thought to figure your way through things. And and where do you stand on, on that? Are you spiritual or atheist? Or? No. Residential school ruined my mother's life. Let's get into that because yeah. she sued the government. Is your mother still alive? So what happened was, yeah, she is. Okay. She lives in St. John's. Her husband just passed. Um about a month and a half, two oh, months ago. It, well, it's been really hard, Awful. hard time for her too. But I mean, like that's the struggle for people with who've been through residential school, right? It's right. constant, constant thing. It never leaves you. It's insidious. And so, she. What was the question? Sorry. The, quite, I, the question was. Couldn't find uh, that vein. L- let's just talk about uh, residential schools because your mother is. Uh, did she, is she in the process? Is no, she in she, she's so. Labrador belonged to um, the UK Mm -hmm. until 51 or 52. And they were, the UK had initiated the residential schools in Labrador. And I think in St. John's. Right. So when the, when the initial truth and reconciliation started with the compensation bit for residential school survivors after the Aboriginal Healing Foundation had set up everything that it needed to, um, Labrador and Newfoundland, parts of Newfoundland, I don't know if all of it, but Labrador definitely was. None of the residential schools in Labrador were acknowledged, um, except to say we're sorry. They were acknowledged in the apology, but then not for the compensation part. So um, there was a class action suit that my mom was involved in. I don't know how many people it was, but they just finished suing. And I don't know, the, 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 the process is done, but I don't know what the results are exactly. I don't really 
ask right. or delve yeah. too far into that kind of stuff with my mom. And um, for those who might not know, I mean, I know what, what it is, and uh, but let's let's explain to some listeners what are what were residential schools. So um, residential schools were a system of colonial structure um, brought from the Canadian government to, uh, I'm using quotation marks, educate the children, um, the native children, all of the indigenous children in the country. And they would sort of pluck them from their families, right? They would take them from their families, and if they didn't, if the families fought against it, they would enforce rules that were just for reserves or just for communities um it because indigenous people are not um governed by any kind of systemic structure right that's not how we're not systemic so the the transition i guess where the colonial government wanted to to change it was to to assimilate us basically and the best way to do that is to get them all their children and to put them into schools and teach them our ways so that and I think it was McKenzie um, said, I'm pretty sure it was, I'm not positive, but uh, I, a quote, one of the more famous quotes about residential schools and um, how they were, how they were, how the children and families and indigenous people were forced to submit their children to these systems was that they wanted to um, get rid of the Indian and the child. Mm. So basically get rid of everything that was native at all. Anything indigenous is what they tried to do. So the legacy then that followed was just kind of kept under the rug and nobody really questioned it because the systems of oppression had already been put in place before and with this this huger structure, right? So um, that's re- what residential schools are. They took native children and put them into mass institutions where they tried to remove any signs of indigeneity out of language culture Mm -hmm. religion and insert and insert everything language culture and religion that was that was canadian that's canadian and that is just a recipe for disaster i mean we see the effects well now. now thank god like people woke up and 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 started talking about it i don't think that you could do that to that many people and expect it not to come out eventually. Yeah. Um, but it's really weird because the underlying things that happened to me when I was a child in Canada compared to what happened to me when I was a child in the States. Um, so in the States, my whole entire family is white and they've been, they're a lot like, um, what I would, I I don't know, like some of the local families that have been in the Wakefield area for years and years and years, like decades, hundred years, maybe 200 years. That's how my family is in the States. So I would go from like real serious white privilege to living in Labrador with my mom and my grandmother and my brother who was a single mom and she didn't have any housing. So we had to live in literally a shack with floorboards on dirt and a wood stove and like an ice box for like that's so that was that's my perspective that was i think that's why i don't have a filter why i'm a little bit wacky yeah yeah (laughs) so you kind of went like you had the both extremes kind of thing. i had totally both both extremes and it's funny because when my mom when i was a little girl and i was born i have two crowns two swirly things on top of my head Mm -hmm. and for the like my mom just said all the time because she was a hair person and she was like she has to 
two crowns because she's going to be the queen of two kingdoms. And that just like resonated with me so hard after I learned about, so I learned about the um, residential schools, not from my mom. I learned that while I was working at the Aboriginal Healing Foundation after the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People commissioned the Healing Foundation. And my mom actually worked at the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's just, it's kind of like, it's, it's yeah. really Wow, it's like kind of prophetic, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, uh, just to go touch on residential schools, Gord Downey has, has mm-hmm. uh, really brought that out to, to the forefront and, and talked about it. Are, are people grateful that he's done something like that, or is it more generalizing, you know, because there's two schools of thoughts where people go, sure, it, sound, it looks good, but here's a white privileged man that's kind of... Well, you've just touched on the dichotomy of every indigenous issue, period, in Canada, right? Like, nobody can argue that what Gord is doing is amazing, amazing, mm-hmm. and that he's using his voice to... Rep- in, in this time, during this time of his life, he's that's using right. his his voice to propel other people's issues to, to for healing. So, like, no, if anybody ever said to me anything derogatory or or negative about what Gord Downey is doing I I just laugh at them and ignore them um but you're right there is this whole other part of um indigenous populations who are really aware and like you know like my kids always say mom you're woke you know whoa you're woke yeah yeah so like there's these woke populations of indigenous people who are kind of like yeah that's great but man like it's another white person are you guys going to listen to us you know we've been telling you this like how many white people is it going to take for you to listen to us and i know that that really upsets people when i when i make that that but I want to let them know, too, that they need to understand that there's this fragility that goes along with being white because we have had privilege. And I include myself in that as well. And so when you have that privilege, it is your duty to make sure that you're self-aware enough so that you can dole it out where it needs to be shared, right? And that's what privilege is. If you don't use it, then it's just an entitlement that you use right. as an excuse, right? Right, right. So I don't think that there are very many people in the indigenous communities, even the really loud, talkative ones that I encompass myself in, but I don't think anybody would say that what Gord's doing is wrong, period. But what I think is is difficult is that um, indigenous voices have been doing this and dying doing this long before for themselves for for a couple hundred years now yeah you know so and i think that but i also think that good understands that i i'm pretty sure that he 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 understands that he's he's got the capacity to to dig what he's doing and understand what he for sure but indigenous people so that's what i do is i i advocate for indigenous people's voices to to be heard at indigenous tables or where anything indigenous is being talked about so um, like Kiki, I told you about Kiki, her, her T, I, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't say Kiki's name. Maybe she wouldn't want me to say that. No worries. We can, we can let it. Okay. <laughs> so I told you about that girl <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she wanted me to go to, um, help her advocate for herself because she's a young indigenous woman who's, who's 
family is a very, very nationally influential family, very nationally known. And she had to advocate to a white woman who was preaching to her, teaching her, sorry, about racism and discrimination. Mm. A white woman telling a native girl about racism and discrimination and the fact that this woman is completely and totally entitled to that and that the Métis kids that she was doing this project with told her that she really shouldn't get too personal with her situation. You know, that's the kind of, that is really indicative of the kind of oppression that, that indigenous people face every day, all the time. I'm pretty lucky because I don't look indigenous, right? I look like I could be white. You really don't know what I am. So you, and I'm well-spoken and I had, I was raised in white privilege. So I, I look the look and I talk the talk, but then when they get into the deeper, seedier sides of me, they're like, Oh, you know, Mm. can you stop that? Can you just like be quiet? I don't want to hear that, you know, like, but I don't, I'm not going to stop doing it. No, nor should you. But it's amazing how little people know about the struggles of, of indigenous peoples and how, you know, I read a statistic somewhere along the lines that there's somewhere around 300,000 indigenous people in Canada that have no access to clean yeah. running water Yeah, be- because they have them on the reserves. And, and as long as they have them, the facilities there, but there's no regulations or no inspections or no people to upkeep those things. But that's meets the government's quota quota just because they're on there and but they're not working or and and the reason that I could get those 350,000 signatures um in a year and a half well three nationally funded organizations funded by the Canadian government um the the, the reason that I could do all that was because I didn't have all of the corruption from those structures so if you think about it corruption in colonial structures comes from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of you guys doing this you guys know you know like it's it's you you know what's going to happen when you do this with that right indigenous people don't have that don't have those hundreds and hundreds of years of experience within a system so like for the first hundred years we were we were fighting against it second hundred years we're now we're like learning it so it's it's just it's it's a it's um, it's really difficult to get people to understand because it's so complex. Mm-hmm. And once you get to a certain level, it just goes way over people's heads, and they're like, uh, "Okay, is no doubt. Let's talk about food." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you <I> know, know. <laughs> which is in um, we're doing food and reconciliation at Algonquin. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What uh, were you always because you grew up partly in Michigan and and but you obviously had uh, you know you, your family in Labrador and your mother and all that were you always super connected with your culture and and fighting the good fight or is that something you grew into and and became more passionate as as you grew older? Yeah, no, I didn't want to have anything to do with any of it when until is I was right? in my twenties. Yeah, I didn't want, to, and the only reason that I really. Um, had anything to do with it in my 20s is because I was a single mom and I needed a job. My mom said, like, they need a part-time receptionist. And so I, you know, I needed a job. And, and But when I was younger, um, I was more connected to it than I realized because my Inuit grandmother, my mom's mom, <coughs> she she raised me. So wherever my mom was, was where she was. Wherever I was, you know, she... M- she followed me to the States, wherever I would go, she would follow me. So 
I've always had the basics. I've had like, you know, I always have eaten frozen fish and frozen meat. And when I didn't have it, she would go looking for it. She'd have somebody send it down. And then my mom would continue on with that kind of stuff with our food. Like our food for Inuit is our, that's, that's where our differences with our biggest difference in culture is like, I eat like raw seal liver. Is that right? Well, I was just going to ask that because you said you do that at Algonquin. You teach? You teach that at Algonquin? No, I was going to teach at Algonquin, but I ended up taking the course and kind of like auditing it. But I I'm, I also um, got appointed to a steering or um, an advisory committee, which takes up too much of my time for right. me to continue on with that. But yeah, food is definitely like my passion. Well, let's talk about the food because, again, I'm going to ask naive and ignorant questions because I don't know... Awesome. A lot, a lot. So, what 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 is classic Inuit food? So, um, seal meat, mm-hmm. and still to this like day, stu- you can get yep. no problem. Where where yep. do you get seal meat? There, uh, in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> okay, dumb question. You're you just, right. You, it's not. It's not. Um, it's, it's not, not sold anywhere. No. right. You have to harvest it yourself. You have to have a seal connection or harvest it yeah, yourself. Yeah, you know, this connection. You have to have a seal guy. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> needs a good seal guy. <laughs> I think those guys do heroin too. Yeah. yeah, the guy that sells you seal can probably get you some black tar heroin. Yeah. <laughs> and of, okay, of the seal, which part, can you eat the whole thing? Like pretty much. Yeah. You said the, you so, mentioned the liver earlier. Um, I'm not a big seal fan, but I kind of felt obligated when I moved back to Labrador to to try everything. Mm-hmm. And I can eat seal meat. Some people, and I understand it, can't even let it get to their face because it's too fatty, or because it's of the, so the full mental of blood. Really? It is so rich in iron that it just looks like a big, bloody piece of meat. It's just, even when it's cooked, it's dark, dark. It's like black like this. Is that right? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, it's so full of blood. And that must be how they, I don't know, that must be how they keep themselves warm, I guess. And well, that's what I was going to ask. Is, is it, did they start eating seal because of the access to it or because of certain benefits from it because of the, the climate or the so geography? In my territory, which is Nunatsiavut, which is in Labrador, mm-hmm. we have two indigenous populations. There's the Innu, which are the Nascapi and the Montagnes of, of that area. And then there's Inuit. So this is terribly derogatory and but it's Eskimos and Indians, like basically <laughs> what the thing is, right? So um, the legends, like our creation stories, I'll say that um, we had, that Inuit had access to the land for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, and that's where we hunted. And then the Innu, the, the First Nations of our area, hunted only on the water. Then there was this great big huge war, and Innu gained control of the land, and we were shoved out to the water, so that was where we started eating seal meat and whale. And I think, I mean, like this is probably like thousands and thousands of years ago. From, right. Know, but that's, that's where the origin stories come Shit, from. That's so interesting. It is. There's it's like every little tiny aspect of what we see as everyday life has some kind of a meaning in Inuit culture mm-hmm. or in, in all First Nations cultures. Like, you know, like I burned sweet grass and sage because I liked the way that it smelled my whole, my whole life growing up until I was like, 21 or 22 and grandfather William Commanda taught me about sacred fire and taught well a group of us not just me but taught us about sacred fire and the meanings with those medicines right so I had actually been burning something that was like healthy my whole entire life good for my 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 spirit and my in my cultural it was something that was probably you know passed down genetically genetically that you didn't really know consciously why but exactly but just, that's what I, I hope so yeah for sure yeah. of course yeah, I, I totally so. think that okay so seal seal is, is seal like so it's sealed to 
uh, th- I don't. I'm trying not to sound insensitive or just, or, but, just let it okay. flow. This You're is right. your hour. You're right, and I can edit this shit out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to come across as I super said knowledgeable. I was an Indian. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's pretty bad. So, is seal to First Nations people what the hamburger is to Americans, for example? Like the the main. No, that would be ca- that would be caribou. Okay. No, no, or fish. Caribou or fish. Any kind of fish or what? Char, 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 char. Yeah, char. Sometimes we get like lake trout like up in the hills and in the mountains, mm-hmm. but char and salmon. Char and salmon and seal and caribou. And that it, sounds delicious, all of it. I'm hungry. It now. is. It's really, really, really good. It's the best food ever. And, and um, something that I, I know is that, that indigenous people, First Nations people have such a respect for land mm. and animals and everything's got a spiritual undertone to it. When an animal is, you know, when they take an animal's life for, for nourishment, that doesn't go unnoticed and there's kind of a period of reflection there and they yeah. utilize the whole thing, you know. They're not just going to take a seal for its tail and throw the rest out, you know. When I, I learned how to um, hunt seals, it was my daughter Jasmine's father who taught me. And when we pulled the seal up through the hole, I had already shot one seal like on the water before. And then we had to pull him up out of the boat, but he was in the water. Right. Mm -hmm. And there was no struggle with this, with the second seal that I did out on the ice. Um, he, Jasmine's dad hit it with a a harpoon. We call it a cucky buck. And when he pulled the cucky buck back up, then you get rid of the the, um, the stick and you're left with the string and you have to pull the string and this heavy, 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 heavy seal up, right? And so when we finally got the seal up, I was like so out of breath. It must have taken like 20 minutes of a really hard workout, both him right? and I pulling. And as soon as it was up and out of the water, I thought he was going to go and shoot it. But um, he went, he got a, a glass of like water from our fresh water that we brought with us on the skidoo and he poured water in its mouth and he's, he said, Nakumiku, like, thank you for the, for, for that. You know, he, and I said, why did you do that? And he said, well, don't you want a glass of water after that struggle? Like, mm-hmm. isn't that what you want? You know? So it's it, first nations are usually more ceremonious and more, um, very outward teachings and Inuit are more, um, innate and more community minded, like community governed. So, like when we would go back with the seal meat, we would dole it out to the older people. Her, her dad was really traditional. So we would dole it out to all of the older people and all of the moms first. And then we'd go give like the rest to our family, to our, our mom and who had tons of meat all the time anyway. But um, if he didn't do that, like my mom probably would have stopped talking to him and not let him come to the house for a couple of weeks because, or um, if, if anybody like would see you bring in a seal from the dock, like a great big, huge seal and watch you carry it to your house, then that would be like a a real social no, no. Like, um, we, it's allowed for like, for like me when I went up there and I had to make a lot of mistakes, like social mistakes, it, it, you get some, you get some leeway on it, but, um, that's the difference between Inuit and, and first nations is we're more quiet about our, our disagreement I'm not I'm the loudest like you'll ever meet <laughs> but like anyway are more subdued and not going to come and say hey you're not supposed to do that they're not going to say this is the right way to do that they're just kind of like going to give you your space and wait for you to do it. whereas I'm not the typical in a guy to be like hey that's wrong get over here and do this right you know like, interesting yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And and what do you what do people shoot seals with? Just like a rifle or something like that? Uh, two forty three usually. Two forty three. Mm-hmm. And what do you think of people that come to Canada that are not from here, specifically like a Paul McCartney that comes and protests the the seal hunts and all that, that is so ingrained in in tradition and uh, culture. Do you think that's wrong? Because you know, like groups like PETA and all that, they go because yeah, they just see. Is they, I they think I think it, protesting the seal hunt is wrong because I, it's just it's just flat out wrong, just wrong, especially in Canada. Like if there's someplace else that is happening, and I literally don't know, mm-hmm. but if there's something someplace else where it's happening that, like, you know, it's a really ugly slaughter, I it, it even in Newfoundland they're not like clubbing baby seals like like PETA and, and everybody tries to portray and Greenpeace tries to portray I do I think it's wrong and um it's I don't really <laughs> shit Julian I don't really say it if I think something's right or wrong very often <laughs> but yeah I do I think it's wrong that they come here to do it and I think that there's other things and to do that like Inuit are probably comprised of like 35, 40,000 people in the entire population of Canada. Right. How many seals do you think that we're harvesting naturally? We're not going out there and, you know, like getting 15 seals and bringing them back and harvesting them and sending them out for, you know, for which we should really, I think. But I don't know. Like if, if there's a seal harvest happening like in China where we get some seal skins and I'm like, where the heck do we get those from? You know, mm-hmm. if there's st- shady stuff going on someplace else, go pay attention to that stuff. Right. Leave the seal hunt but in Canada here. alone. And, because- and it's pretty, it's pretty like anyway, there's the, one of the Inuit organizations is just not having anything to do with it. Right. Yeah. And, and because the seal hunt here, is it mainly used for food and then the, the skin is used for whatever. Yeah. It's not like it's a corporation like no. goose down like uh We can't even harv we can't we can't we can we can harvest fish and we can sell fish and fish plants. Um people harvest caribou and sell caribou from farms. We can't nobody's harvesting and selling seal meat from Canada. Right. It's because they see it as black uh, they look at it black and white. Uh, they see all this blood on the ice and they think it's all baby seals and uh first cuz my father is uh, super pro seal hunt. He's mm-hmm. all about, you know, grain tradition and all that. And Because mm-hmm. we're not uh, native or anything, but we're Acadian French from... Uh, and there's a lot of na- native blood in our family because the, there's a close tie there because when the Acadians were deported, a lot of uh, native people hid Acadians from the from the English yeah. um, for the deportation and all that. So there's a lot of really close ties. And uh, some of my aunts did the... the the test, the DNA test you can do, and it came back like 70% or something like yeah. crazy. Yeah, 23 and me and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so uh, my father is very traditional, and he's like, and he's a huge Beatles and, and Paul McCartney fan, but he's like, what the fuck is this billionaire who knows nothing about any, like specifically well, about the cause? He jumps on his helicopter. Paul McCartney comes- is like in his 70s now. Right. He's been doing this since like he was in his late 50s. Yeah. Maybe he just needed something to hold on to. I don't know. Maybe it's just a regular guy who ha- who really loves seals. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got a lot of money. He can do what he wants to with. Like that's fine. But don't think that anything's going to change in right. any Inuit communities because that's our that's our life source. Man. But again, it's a very black and white way of looking at it. And, and, I think, and life is not in the black and white. But it's has he ever visited an Inuit village? Yeah, probably. I don't know. Not. I never saw anything like that before. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Then there's caribou. Mm-hmm. Caribou is like our hamburger, like our steak. Yeah. Yeah. 
and then fish. You do hunt that with a two forty three? You can. Yeah. But um if you're a good shot, twenty two is enough. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's hardcore. Yeah, it is. And ducks, lots of and so I'm from Labrador, which we have a lot more meat from and not meat from ducks and like birds mm-hmm. and sea life. Mm-hmm. And uh another like like sea urchins, we eat sea urchin mm-hmm. guts. Um I just like so many vegetarians in Wakefield. <laughs> um, maybe we should have warned them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what else is there? There's mussels, clams, anything that you can get. Anything you can get from that. And then there's like juniper berries and Labrador tea and Labrador carrots and like very little vegetation. Well, that's that's the whole point. There is very little vegetation. I mean, if you went on a vegan or vegetarian diet uh, in those areas, you would die simply, right? You can Well, there's the that that you know what what's the name? What is what is it? Vegetarian is an actually an Indian word. It means bad hunter. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can yeah. see that. And I mean, but but, I mean, you're eating like purely organic, you know, meats and, you know, uh, indigenous First Nations, anywhere peoples live long, long lives. They yeah. have for a long, long time, and they were never sick until us dummies came over here with the plague, with and, the plague, yeah. and and, uh, and all that shit. Yeah, it was it was that was my my area too, like all my people in Hopedale and Nain, in Labrador, all my family, they all come from those same areas where, like, I think, like, two-thirds of the population died from the Spanish influence in, eight, in 1918. Where, like, first contact was made. and, and First uh, contact was, well, yeah, that was in Labrador. Yeah. First contact was in Labrador, first with the Vikings, and then with the Moravians, and then with the Hudson's Bay, and then with governments. Wow. So did you uncover when you started, the, you know, gaining more interest in in your culture and your roots and where you come from did you uh become like more and more fascinated and discover more things and just go deeper and deeper yeah that was i don't i didn't realize that i was like i didn't actually set out say okay i'm gonna like i'm gonna go figure out about my culture it's just that because i live in canada and because where my mom placed me basically and where my communities were, I, I just was immersed in my culture. So I was learning it at, and not even realizing that I was learning it until 2000 or 1998 when I was, said, I want to go learn about my culture. Mm. And really, I mean, like I, I spent time on the land and I got like good practice at how to clean skins and how to like hunt and like w- whether you use 243 or 22 or, you know, those kinds of things I learned about. But um, I didn't really set out and say, I really want to learn about it until 98 and then I just felt foolish about it afterwards because I really kind of knew everything and I and I think that I knew more about our history and our people from being here than I did than the people at home you know than the people did right <laughs> right so like then I also created that that strange little thing again where like they look at me like there's something wrong with me because they don't understand me the same thing in Michigan like you know, outside of my family and my community, people are like, what is with her? <laughs> <laughs> Just don't get me. <laughs> so how do you, uh, like around here, uh, can you get access to any good food, like traditional yeah, First Nations food? Yeah, actually. Where? F- where, where, where do you? 
people in Wakefield have awesome connections. I yeah. Don't know. Yeah. So there's a seal guy in Wakefield. I've got n- no, but there's like a trout chick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I like that trout chick. And um, she lives up on Rockhurst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's and got you just two go- little kids. <laughs> And she sells trout out of her house? No, she just like she's just gifted me with trout that she found from one of her friends who's in Inuk, who okay, I don't cool. know, because right. you know, I don't, I'm supposed to know every Inuit in Canada, <laughs> every Inuk person ever. Um, but people around here have given me lots of deer meat and lots of moose meat and lots of fish, and that is what it's like. It doesn't, I don't really care if it's caribou. I don't, just as long as it's some kind of venison, and it just... It's like, it's the best food ever. It really is. It really is. Can you tell? It feels good. Yeah, it feels good. Can Can you tell the difference between a factory farmed piece of meat versus... Now I a, can. Yeah. After Wakefield, I can. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It was really... I, I, I held off on it, like trying all of the local like good meat for a long time because I thought it was so expensive, but then I don't eat very much meat when mm-hmm. I don't, you know, when it's good meat, you don't have to eat a lot. That's right. Feels and you good. can, you, yeah, you're, it's right. In, in Wakefield, you have access to lots of good, good stuff. And I mean, and, I mean, do you believe this? Because especially with your, given your background and how it's, there's such spiritual undertone and ceremonious things when it comes to taking a life for, for feeding your family or whatever. Do you believe that like factory farmed animals, they like, they know they're going to die and that comes through in the meat and all oh, that. Do you know what I mean? Like the yeah. enzymes and all that. I don't know if they know that they're going to die. Mm-hmm. I'm not because I I a lot of my my university and college education is about psychology and developmental stuff. So I hope that the developmental psychology of a chicken won't let it know what's happening to it. But I think that the energy that is in those places yeah. couldn't help but seep into everything that like you know I I thought I thought about chickens and farms when I went to this really toxic community um it was a toxic just service providers and nonprofit organizations can be really really toxic and how everything in that room even though I walked in that room I was so so happy I was just excited to be there and I wanted to like meet everybody but the overlaying toxicity and the energy in that room just literally made me vomit that day and then so I thought about the chickens I try really hard not to think about the chickens, though, Julian, okay? <laughs> like, I really try hard not to think about everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I think that, I think that the, all of the, like, the pig farms in North Carolina, and those, the pig farms, I think, for me, touches me a little bit harder because, like, one of our family friends here in Wakefield has a pet pig. And that pig is smart. They say they're the small, smartest animals believe, after primates. I believe it. Yeah. They're and emotional and like you can see their eyes and their, and I know that we humanize things and I don't, and I don't want to go too much to the left because I'm not an animal rights activist. Right. And I know that there's a lot in Wakefield who will have lots to say to me about this, <laughs> but I try not to veer off too much into like too lefty or too righty and stay median but it's the pigs yeah. the pigs that i think like are chickens seem a little bit more you know reptilian like eh, what's up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. i also have a friend in chelsea who has 
pet chickens and you just go up to them and they come up to you and they look at you like are you gonna pet me or like what's up and then when you pet them they like squat down and they've spread their wings for you to pet them and you can scratch them really like hard. get right like in pets. there wow. like they're pets so then you know that's what makes me think about the yeah. chickens maybe i don't know I'd rather think about the poor pigs. <laughs> yeah, well, it's when you pass a truck on the highway and it's full of pigs in the back and like an 18-wheeler and you see the ears and tails hanging out at the back and they're all on the way to... The, yeah, it kind of makes uh, me feel like, yeah, con- concentration camp yeah. trains. And and they are and they are super smart. My, my father, growing up, they had a pet pig. He was a small guy and he was growing up, he was getting too big. So my grandfather put him in a sack of potatoes and brought him to a farm in the community that was five or six miles. And he took, my grandfather walked through the woods. He didn't take the road or whatever, walked through the woods. So the pig couldn't find its way back? And like four days later, the pig showed up at the front step. And it was far, like it was far. And through the brush, like thick brush, this pig, this little piggy came home. Anyway, so, but I have a hard time not eating it. But since I've lived in Wakefield... I can't eat whale anymore. Whale? No. Is it because there's there are no whales in the Gatineau River. Well, there's I there's whale meat and whale blubber that gets sent down here. Like if really? They, if they, yeah. yeah. Well, it's so much they have to send it. I think. Mm-hmm. But um, I used to, and but now since I like I have so many animal rights activist friends here. Yeah. <laughs> so what kind of whale is eaten most commonly? Oh, the worst one is beluga whale. Oh, is that right? And that's not the most common. Oh, people must freak the, out because belugas are cute and and. But they're they're so smart. Like right. it's the whole you know like right. it's it's easy to eat that kind of stuff when you're ignorant or when you're raised into it. But like once you know better, you can't not do better. Yeah, that's so a good point. So I can't point. eat whale. I don't even think I would. I don't eat seal out here. I just don't feel the need. If I if I go like I've been home and I've eaten seal, but I still don't feel great about. Does it actually keep you warm? Yeah. Yeah? Oh, it keeps you so warm. Really? The, it keeps the blubber? You s- yeah. No. Or the blood? The, <laughs> no, the skin. Oh, the skin. The no skin. Way. Yeah, no, the, the, I don't know. Yeah, Jasmine and I have really super high body heats. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like I'll wear flip-flops until like October, November. Mm. She And she doesn't sleep with any blankets. Like she she can't. And she's always hot. I think Anything it's an seal. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> <laughs> what does beluga taste like? Is it bloody like a seal or is it completely? Well, we don't, I don't eat the meat. Right. Um, just the blubber? Just the blubber, the layer is like two feet thick on one of the big, big whales. The beluga whale's got like like a foot of. And is it just like gelatinous kind of, what, what was the texture? Is it it's like, like a giant jellyfish? I tell everybody this all the time and it's going to sound so gross, but it's creamy fat. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That does sound gross. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it tastes like. <laughs> and how do you prepare it? It's raw. Oh my God, really? Well, it can be frozen and then you, yeah. And, so- then, and, then, and then sometimes they take the skin. I'm really sorry, Wakefield animal rights <laughs> activists, please turn away. <laughs> but sometimes they take the skin. Yeah. And you know the Inuit women's knife? Yeah. Like the ulu? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You take, you get a, like, it's a big thing. Like a family will get a, like a foot by foot thing of skin and the fat's been taken off of it. So there's like maybe an inch of fat connected to an inch of like half an inch of fat to half an inch of skin and they cut it in a grid like bacon yeah 
kind of like like bacon, but then they but they don't disconnect it completely. Right. It's so that it all stays together, and then you just rip a piece off of it when you're a little kid. It's like the when you're a kid, it's like it's like candy. It's like the best thing in the is world. Is it salty? Is it ocean like is it like mm, sea seawater? Nope. Wow. It's um we dip it we dip it in um soy sauce or sometimes in salt. Hmm. It's it's just fatty. Right. It's just fatty. That's all it is. And and the and it's kind of like chewy when it's the skin part. God. I feel so guilty talking no, about No, don't feel guilty and don't apologize <laughs> because this is part of uh, you know thousands of years of tradition and culture and the whole point of this conversation and all of the conversations I'm having is to to offer people a peek into a portal into a world that they did not know of. So if you're listening to this and you're offended, get grow, get grow the fuck up. This is not about <laughs> Your values or your, it's not about <laughs> politics. It's not about anything. It's just about learning and about sharing. people. Sharing. sharing. Yeah, that's right. There's no apology necessary. Um, okay, let's, uh, now I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I could go for a big bowl of blubber I'm right going to be now. hungry for 12 days, Julian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you might be cold from now on. <laughs> you might have to <laughs> put some big boots on in the winter. You might detox all of that. Um, all the heroin out of my system. Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, the heroin you have to increase. That might keep you warm. You you substitute blubber for heroin. Okay, Perfect is, idea. Yeah, here you go. Why didn't I think of that? That's now that's a bumper sticker. Um, what? <laughs> what is am I next? Um, am I next is a campaign that I um, put forward on social media and through um, petitioning online to promote the missing and murdered indigenous women's inquiry which i'm very not happy about as a result of right now but yeah give us some uh, details into that so how many missing indigenous women's over how many years um since the 1980s the rcmp reported over um 1100 missing and murdered indigenous women and what's the problem they're just people just give up too quick or they don't well they're investigate? all uh there's no prevention happens from like communities and, and there's, it's, it's so huge. Julius. It's gigantic. Yeah. Like, I don't even know if I could, um, there's not one answer It's a very complex, deep answer about why there's missing and murdered indigenous women. Part of it is, um, systemic, systemic accountability from, from the justice system. We don't have any, and um, we can't open cold, cold cases. We can't, um, we don't have like special constables and in, in our reserves or in our communities. There's just, it's just so much. And is this where Loretta Saunders, that was your, your cousin? So yeah, she was, um, the thing with Loretta was that she was 14 years younger than me. Mm-hmm. So I would go back home to Labrador and I would babysit her. And then when I had kids, she would babysit my kids and you know, she's like a little cousin. So she's always around. Like she was, you know, like, a little sister. All of our cousins are more like little sisters and brothers or big sisters and brothers in our in, in indigenous worlds, I guess. So we were close, but not like, you know, best friends. We didn't go drinking together. We didn't party together, have fun together or anything. Um, she was my babysitter and my little cousin. And I was her babysitter and her big cousin. And her mom is my, uh, my very favorite like family member ever. Mm-hmm. So she had a really rough life. And the last time I saw her before she was murdered, um, I had dropped her off at a rehab clinic in 
St. John's. I had escorted her out there and she was young. She was like 16, I think. And she said, um, we had these deep conversations and she didn't get it. And she asked me like, why, why does this happen to us? Why is this happening to me? Like, why doesn't it seem like it happens to everybody else? And I had these explanations because I just come from Ottawa where I had just learned about all these things. And I told her about colonization and about indigenous history and what we, what we're taught in schools is not necessarily always the truth. And you have to explore a little. So she promised me that she would go to university and I gave her a hug and we said goodbye. And then I talked to her throughout the rest of the God six years and um, she put herself through college. She got her GED or through, through high school, she got her GED and then she started university and she was in her final year of university and ready to, ready to graduate in May. Um, and she was doing her thesis on missing and murdered Indi- Aboriginal women in Canada when she went missing. And then two weeks later we found, um, we found out that she was murdered and, left in a hockey bag in the middle of a New Brunswick highway. So then I like everybody who works in indigenous Canada knows about Aboriginal missing and murdered women have known about it because it's kind of like been shot out there with these organizations, little bits of information, but it was never really cohesive. There was never really a big cohesive structure that said no, because the government was really limiting and politicians and politics and, and, and municipalities and provinces have just limited the capacity that we have to prevent women from being trafficked into sex trades. We have like mining companies in the North, mining companies that have thousands and thousands of men. Um, you know, like there's this huge indigenous feminist movement as well that kind of underlaying so she had ties into all of this information and she was doing her thesis on it um when she was murdered uh the the thesis was part of evidence but her professor Daryl LaRue actually got a chance to read me just the introduction part and he I didn't get to read all of the body of the thesis but I know what Loretta's life was like I know I know what she had gone through and what she had to do. And, you know, and I said, why would she, why would she do this? Like, why would she put everything out there for everybody to see? Cause I was as amazed as anybody else was that she was actually, that she was going to give that to a professor, that she was going to give that, that she was actually already talking about. Like we deal with, we deal with suicide. We deal with addiction. We deal with, um, incest we deal with rape we deal with every thing that you can possibly think of that is associated with poverty and oppression and and have-nots and on top of it we rise we she was in university all of these things that had happened to her and she was writing her thesis and it was on the topic that took her away so how could i not and and i i I know that a lot of my family members got really pissed off at me because, you know, we all have, we all have these secrets. Every family does not, not just indigenous families or people who've been through residential school. So I know that everybody kind of understands what I'm talking about, but my family hated me for a little while. They thought I was trying to make money when I was campaigning. They thought I was trying to make money at the time. My ex had just left me. I, he left me with $70,000 with revenue Canada debt, no house, no car, and, and four kids, no alimony, no support, nothing. 
I had nothing. So I was doing this from nothing and they just hated on me for a while. So, you know, when we were talking about, you know, like you just get to a point where you're just going to do what you got to do and not give a crap. I think that that's where Loretta, that was Loretta's like life lesson for me was that I needed to not give a shit and just pay attention to my voice. Like I always had, like she always had and to just say whatever I've got to say. And if you don't like it, then I'm sorry you don't like it, but I'm still not going to shut up. Mm. As long as it's the truth, I'm not going to stop spitting it. It's, it's, it's important for people who've been murdered. <laughs> there's Fuck. women who are, who are missing. There's, there's so many, like there's Shannon and Maisie. I'm friends with their mom and Kid Again Zibi. Like I'm friends with their mom because they're missing and Loretta was murdered. Like, so we have, we have, now we have an inquiry and uh, it's it's a shit inquiry. It's a it's it's the shittiest inquiry. Because that's still I can a cold case. Imagine. Well, mine. Yeah, no, but, no, Loretta's. Was that no, Loretta's. We're so. We're, that's horrible to say, but we're so lucky. We we her murderers are in prison. Oh, I, I, okay. Yeah, in, in in Halifax. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but that's also what makes it a lot easier for right. her sister does the same kind of stuff that I do in different circles and in different capacities. But she, she, she does the same thing. She advocates for indigenous rights all over Canada. Um, yeah, it, the, the, the inquiry is, is gone forward, but I think they're going to reset it. I don't know what they're going to do with it. I'm not sure, but it's a shit inquiry and it's not what I promoted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. <laughs> That's tough. That's but I mean you're. This is doing... supposed to be the comedy hour. <laughs> Jeez, I need some heroin already. God. <laughs> uh, no, this is what we do though. I always tell my guests it doesn't have to. It's not. It's called a comedy hour, but ignore that because it's not. We yeah. we just shoot the shit. We get real. Pe- people identify with real and authenticity, and and that's at the end of the day what doesn't get more real than Wakefield, Julian. Well, really here doesn't. we go. We're finding it out. <laughs> Uh, you met, you mentioned a few things that the uh, your people deal with, and uh, this uh, addiction is one. I'd heard a theory at some point that the reason um, like alcoholism is prominent amongst uh, certain communities is because the, the the biology is it a biology like a gene thing where or, or is that a cop out made know. up by? I'm not sure. It would make sense to me. We, but at the same time, Native people have had fermentation processes in the South for mm. for years and years. Like the Incans and the Mayans had fermentation processes. Their their offshoots that get up th- towards New Mexico and Arizona and Nevada and all those places they have had fermentation processes. So I'm not really sure. I think sometimes because like I can see you know my brother and I. Um, full brother same genes but my brother can't drink because he just can't handle it and i can drink so right yeah i'd heard it was maybe like a sugar thing because for years thousands of years there's no sugar in in well that yeah that's like and then the diabetes thing is kind of like evidence to that because right like first nations all indigenous people have higher rates of 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 diabetes because what we what we say is we were given the five white gifts so we were given white flour White rice, white sugar, white pasta, and white bread. White garbage. Fuck. White shit. White shit. Oh. <laughs> that was dangerous. Uh, no, fuck that. No apologies. <laughs> this is this is reality. This is you know this is uh, the world. This is 
you know, part of your heritage and culture and, and things that, you know, as Canadians, we have to know about and, yeah. and learn about because this is, you know, it's history and it's life and it's facts. It and is what it is. That's the problem with, with um, you know, like super left-leaning is that you become so politically correct that you can't talk about anything. Everything becomes a problem even though it's reality and yeah, truth. Yeah, sometimes I, f- sometimes I get that in Wakefield, but the way that I process that is that sometimes people without filters like me and you mm-hmm. sometimes we need governing rods <laughs> yes okay and so i don't really accept any kind of governing rod from anybody else right. and that's like my endearment to wakefield is that i i let a lot of people here tell me off <laughs> mm-hmm. when they feel like i need to be rounded in but it also provides really good fodder for for feedback and like you know a whole different thing to start thinking about for like, sure yeah yeah but, but but unless they've gone through, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah. Unless they've gone through what you have, or what your family, or what your culture, or people have gone through, they don't really have a leg to stand on. I mean, who who you know? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. We're gonna be here talking for four or five hours. <laughs> Honestly, I got to tell you, this is one of my fa- I've done hundreds. This is one of my favorite interviews. Um, is it because it's new information? It's not just the information, but the conduit. Like you're a completely open book and you're uh, completely unfiltered. And, and that's, you know, well, I mean, that's. I'm just worried that I'm going to. The only thing that I'm worried about is that I'm going to say something that you'll be like, oh, shit, we can't put that on there. No, I don't. The, no, if unless you email me or call me after and go, shit, maybe I shouldn't say that. No. But w- w- you're like a good coconut oil. You're raw and unfiltered. <laughs> Coconut oil. I don't know. I think that'll be my new, uh, the new name of the next strain of heroin that I get. Nice cut coconut oil. I'll probably start doing coconut oil heroin if that becomes a thing. That sounds delicious. Organic, non-GMO. Yeah. Cold pressed, unfiltered. I don't know how much longer that's going to last though, because where are all these frigging coconuts coming from? Right. Who's harvesting these coconuts? Are they tiny little children climbing up trees and like? That's true. Two cents a coconut or Coconuts something? Coconuts used to be hard to come by. Now <laughs> everything's made of coconut. Where the hell did they all come from? All of my clothes right now are 100% coconut. <laughs> You're actually. lying. Yeah. <laughs> you, can get, you can get coconut in that color green. That's very awesome. coarse. Very coarse. Irritated. I'm full of, I'm, uh, I've got a rash from head to toe. But, well, uh, that, that hug earlier really did hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm like sandpaper, like a coarse sandpaper that was cultivated by young fingers. What? So what are you doing now? What is MMIW? MMIW is Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. Okay. And that's your, this is your, your... MMIW is like all encompassing about all of the indigenous missing and murdered women. And it's every, so um, anybody who advocates for anything that has to do with MMIW. So we have allies who are not indigenous who advocate with us, still MMIW stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Politicians, everybody. It encompasses everybody. The MMIW inquiry is just the inquiry. Oh, got it. Okay. All right. Yeah. See, I told you I was going to ask dumb, ignorant, naive questions because... I don't think it's dumb or ignorant or naive. I think it's a legit question. It should like provide some answers for a lot of people, and I won't have to say that 10,000 right. times again. <laughs> yeah, because I was reading the thing. I was like, okay, ask what MMIW is. And then it's you mentioned it, question. but I still ask... Um, and sometimes I'll ask things even if I might know the answer just because somebody out there listening might be like, ah, you know, when you have a, a, a an itch that you can't scratch, that's <laughs> like listening to a two hour long podcast and someone doesn't address <laughs> something that was said off the top. You're like, get to the fucking thing. Do you ever do Collins? Collins? 
like where people can call you oh, while call you're interviewing? Ins. Uh, I thought it was some sort of heroin call. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that your seal guy? Collins. You ever do Collins? He's got the best blubber. Um, no, but it's something I do. I mean, I have, um, I'm geared up to do it. Sometimes I'll put out, you know, requests or not requests, but I'll put it out online. I'm interviewing so-and-so at such time. And mm-hmm. if you want to call in, but, uh, no, maybe that's something I'll look into. I wouldn't want to do a call-in show. No? No, it'd get on my nerves. Do you think our lines would be blowing up right now? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, so what's, what's next for you? What's, what's up? Now I'm just doing this homelessness partnering strategy thing. Okay. So, um, also as a result of my ex leaving me and me going through all of this stuff and being a big mouth, mm-hmm. I, I don't. I'm not officially blacklisted, but I'm pretty blackballed in indigenous communities and organization structures. So you don't want Holly to come in if you're not doing something that you're, you know, you don't, because then I'm going to call it out. And it sucked at first doing that, but because, you know, everybody hates you when you call them out on their shit. But I had had my shit called out on me so much by that point. I was like, if I got to be accountable for every goddamn thing that my mom and my dad and everybody else has done, mm. then you guys are going to have to be accountable to me. That's right. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. So I uh, started speaking out against everything. Didn't really have very many options for employment. A lot of my friends in Wakefield, a lot of my my more radical friends were like, let's, let, let's get you up to Wakefield. We'll figure something out from then, from there, you know? So... Yeah. They they rescued me out of homelessness. I was in a shelter. Is that right? Whereabouts? I, that's how I came here. Like in Ottawa. And, um, in in the in the in our region. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, in in the hills. Oh, in the hills. Okay. Yep. And um, so they the lowdown took the news took the took my story, mm-hmm. and um, they did a brief piece. They've done a couple brief things on the stuff that I've done, but. It was my friends who brought me here and said, like, you have a really good voice. You need to not be afraid of it. Like, so maybe you need to be tempered a little bit here or there, and, but you need to use your voice. So I started talking about being homeless. And from a personal perspective and panels and in workshops, and then um, I got really upset. I went to this conference, um, the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness Conference in Vancouver, and we were staying at the Wall Center, like this beautiful billion-dollar complex. It was just the most luxurious hotel I've ever stayed in. I haven't stayed in lots, but it was beautiful. And I, um, I didn't have. I had to like leave money, leave my per diem money with my kids so that they could have money for school and I could pay for a babysitter. And I was just in a shitty spot and feeling like you know shit. And then I got to this conference where I thought there were going to be a lot of other people who were going to be like me, and there weren't very many people like me. And everybody. Oh, shit. I don't know if that's going to be... Oops, sorry, my bad. <laughs> so that was fucked up. Go ahead. Keep going. That's okay. And anyway, there were all these... Everybody who had lived experience who had been homeless before had a separate lanyard. So we were separated from... Even though we looked Seriously? like everybody else. Wow. What so I hell? went to the president <laughs> and I said, why do I have a different color lanyard than that person and that person and that person? And he said, because you're on the panel and you're lived experience and you're of lived experience. And I said, well, why are you separating me from like that? So that was the the, the start of it. And then... Um, one of my activist friends, Audrey Siegel in Vancouver said, 
are you at that conference? And I said, yeah. She said, well, we're going to, do you want to protest it with us tonight? <laughs> so I protested the conference that I was but paid to at- come to. That's <laughs> And everybody was like, oh my God, I can't believe you did that. You just ruined your reputation. You will never, ever, ever get a panel spot again, ever. And instead, I created the Lived Experience Advisory Council. And what we do, is, that's what I'm doing now, is the Lived Experience Advisory Council, which inserts lived experience and first voices into every policy-making table that deals with homelessness in Canada. And then um, I sit as a member, a, an appointed member, of Minister Duclos's Homelessness Partnering Strategy. So we're restructuring a whole whack of money from the government so that we can better service homelessness, which is actually everything that touches oppression and poverty too. So, and, and there's a lot of indigenous stuff. There's a lot of, you know, men and men in involved in justice system stuff. There's all kinds of, all kinds of help that's needed there. So that's what I'm doing now. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And that's to be applauded and, and commended and have just to bring it uh, full circle. Um, since you've been in Wakefield, have you fe- felt at home? Have you found a sense of community here, a sense of Actually, support? I've been out of Wakefield now for a month. I had to move to Hull because the kids are going there and I have to save money for like a year, maybe two. And I've never, ever missed any place before. I've never missed Labrador. I've never missed Michigan. I've never missed Ottawa. But man, I miss Wakefield. Well, you're just down the road. You'll be back. It's not the same. It's uh, totally not the yeah. same. Like I, I, I'm like... I came up here just to go for a ride the other day because I couldn't like, it's not, it's not that, you know, it's the Hills. I tell everybody that the Hills gave me a big hug. Right. Yeah. That's that's what they do. It is. It's home and I'm, I'm coming back. So they better watch out for me. (laughs) Watch out for a Holly Jarrett, uh, Wakefield Hills. She's coming back. She'll be back. She's here. She's uh, one of us. I feel weird saying us because I just moved here, but, uh, Uh, that's, that's what Wakefield does to you as soon as you come here. I don't even, whatever, want to go anywhere now. I'm just like, can I be the first ever Skype comedian where I just go to gigs on a screen and just Skype from my bed? You know? We could probably do that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Holly, thank you so much. It's, uh, I truly mean it when I said this was one of the funnest, most like interesting and uh, best uh, conversations I've had. And, um, that's all all thanks to you and your honesty and openness and, uh, forget... No apologies. That's the beauty of it. Just be unapologetic because you said nothing that was uh, that warrants an apology or anything like that. Okay. It's just real, authentic, and truth. And uh, for that, I thank you because that's a lot harder said uh, than done. So uh, thank you, and uh, we'll be in touch. And uh, watch your head. It's such a beautiful waste of time. There it is, another one in the books. Another Wakefield Sessions goes down. Thanks to my guest, Hamayo Kali Jarrett. That was great, right? Right? Wasn't it? Did you love that? That was great. Thank you so much. That was good. Do you notice how subdued I am sometimes when I talk compared to when I do the intros and outros? I'm like, yeah, just keep, uh, keep you do you, keep doing you. And I also noticed I have to reposition my microphone because there's a little clanging and popping and twanging. I'll get I'll get it straight. Here's new digs, new place, new time, new thing, new everything. All right. Thanks a lot for listening. Remember to email the show pod at jdcomedyhour.com. Follow on Insta and Twitter at jdcomedyhour. And like the Facebook page, facebook.com slash jdcomedyhour. Thank you so much. We're back tomorrow. 
tomorrow with my guest Enid Goodman. Yes, yes, yes. Here we go. We're doing it. Wakefield Sessions, Monday to Friday. Share, subscribe, comment, post. Just you do you. Thank you so much. And as always, watch your head. It's just a waste of time. Oh!